0: Hey y'all, welcome to Ain't No Such Thing, where we tell original southern horror stories. My name's Amanda, and I've got a good one for ya. The Air Show. Damn this place. Demetrius Kelly stomped down on a bent and rusted speaker stand in the night black parking lot. The hour was past 1 a.m., and it was a school night. But no matter... He and his boys were going to tear that place to the ground. And besides, K.J. Clark Middle was basically next door. He'd just walk over after, catch a few Z's behind the cafeteria before the bell, and dare anybody to ask him about it. Glass shattered in the shadows behind him. That was sleepy cracking up what few window shards remained in the old drive-in concession building. And somewhere around there, Bo was unjimming his uncle's gat for target practice on what was left of the giant movie screen at the head of the asphalt. Yo, meat! yelled the cracking voice of a man-posturing 13-year-old from out of the dark. His boys called him Meat. Demetrius liked that. Most everybody in the village carried a nickname, but his came later in life than most. For meat. It was worth the wait. Meat meant he was a man. Meat meant he was a force. He ran in the direction of Bo's voice, jump-kicking one more speaker along the way. Near the screen, the busted blacktop gave way to a weed-choked copse of trees, once a playground for the bored children of moviegoers and for make-out artists. Meat slowed up there, scanned for his friend past the rusted swing set hung with chains like Christmas tinsel, and past the covered corkscrew slide turned death trap. No, Bo. A hey, bow Bo! He called into the vines and the branches. Silence. Maybe the clink chime of swing chains in the hot spring breeze. Sleepy's window work had stopped, too. Standing alone in this old and shrouded place, long ignored by the living, was an altogether different proposition in confidence than attacking it with allies just as angry. A gunshot rang out near the driveway on 12th Avenue, and meat spun in time to see the lone street light there spark out from the bullet— and to hear the giggles and paired running footsteps of Sleepy and Bo abandoning him to the air show. Very funny, little bitches. Meat inhaled slowly, lifted his chin in a long arc to inflate his chest, and then he went berserk. With only the scant crescent moonlight to expose his violence, Meat tore through the playground underbrush to the swing set, leapt onto the first chain within reach, and swung across the dried mud trench beneath. He was barely on his feet before looping the links around his right wrist and lunging away. The aged crossbar gave way in seconds, rent near its middle with a metallic ring and twisted towards Meat and down on itself. Oh hell yeah! That demolition propelled him into a high jump, both hands clasped wide over the remaining crossbar. Meat pulled his knees to his chest as he curled back and up, pumped them out strong on the return swing, and yanked every fiber in his biceps at full extension. And the rest of the assembly followed him to the ground in a clatter. The rusted metal of decades past bit his palms, but with the blood came adrenaline. He crouched amidst the destruction like a werewolf just transformed, chose his next target mid-jump, and landed Reeboks first through the lowest part of the slide canopy, sounding a warning gong for all of Pritchard and Chickasaw to hear and to heed. Come get some! From the back of his lupine throat, Meat howled his pain in his presence until he doubled over out of breath. That was for shitty friends, and for the father that denied him, and for the Schmoo brothers who fed his mama crack, and for the god that let his baby sister take a stray bullet in her playpen. The tears came hot and fast and out of nowhere. What a pussy. Demetrius sniffled and dabbed at his eyes with the tail of his shirt, his ebbing rage letting in the lonesome dread of the dead drive-in. He carefully lifted a foot at a time from his jagged hole in the slide cover and tamped down the now-urgent impulse to run. Run where? Back to Alabama Village? The scariest haunts held no candles to the drug culture frights in those signless streets. At least at the air show, he was alone with nobody to threaten him. He sat on the lip of the slide to get it together, stopped crying. And after a moment, he did. But sobs continued behind him somewhere, up in the inside of the winding slide tube. Demetrius stopped his breath at his nostrils and tried to hear over his own heartbeat. The tinny echo of a little girl's whimpering came at him from within. He jumped, turned away from it, ready again to run. You making fun of me? Demetrius lashed out. I wasn't crying! The sounds of elbows and knees on flat metal came down. Demetrius was on his heels, still no wind in his chest, ready to flee, ready to fight, before a little blonde head emerged tentatively from the new exit he created on the slide. The moment weirdly reminded him of the whack-a-mole game at showbiz pizza that one time Mama took him in the years before the village claimed her. No, I was crying, said the little girl, wiping at her cheeks. I'm so scared out here by myself. She started crying all over again. Demetrius' shoulders slumped, his fist dropped. His baby sister came to mind all over again, all alone up in heaven, and probably just as scared as that lost little girl. What, what are you doing out here? he asked. My parents have been gone a long time, she started. They can't find me, and I can't find them. Her tears slowed, and she pulled herself fully from the slide tube and sat on its edge, staring into the dark and the dirt. Her clothes were old and colorless, her hair in a neat ponytail. Demetrius stepped toward her, all his indignant fervor extinguished. "'Maybe I can help you find them,' he offered, but stopped short when the giant air show marquee lit up at the street. That sign hadn't illuminated since maybe 1982. Ten years passed? when he was barely old enough to remember. The girl noticed, too. She slipped to the ground and toddled absently toward the light. They're coming, she breathed. Who's coming? Demetrius asked, catching up to her as a pair of headlights popped on in a parking space midway to the concession building. He instinctively stumbled backward, ready to book it. Are those your parents? He stammered. The little girl turned her head toward the headlights like a turret aiming to fire, but then continued on to look at him. "'No, those are the ones who want me, but they're not my mom and dad,' she explained. She didn't move. "'They're coming to get me tonight.' And then, the remaining dark disintegrated into a shot-riddled backdrop of headlights. They lit in clustered pairs along the parking lot, bathing Demetrius and the girl in their too-warm glow. There hadn't been cars in those spaces minutes ago when he passed through them. The girl quivered oddly in the light, her edges strobing, blurring into the bent spectrum of colliding beams. Run! she yelled and darted for the concession building. Demetrius acted on reflex and took off behind her. He tried hard not to look at those sources of all the headlights, terrified of what watched from within their cabins. Instead, he focused on a brilliant glow in the projection room at the right of the building, and realization crawled slow up his scalp from the neck. But if that light was on... Demetrius trotted to a stop, forced a swivel of his hips and head to see the screen behind him. A silent movie played there, black and white, and paced in that herky-jerky style of the old Harold Lloyd shorts he watched on UHF Channel 15 as a kid. The years-old rips in the screen swallowed the projector's rays into voided ovals as if the film roll was melting. And he wished it was burning for real. The story it depicted was beyond nightmares. Stalking between a ramshackle shed piled with unconscious children and a yawning, hand-dug pit of smoke was a thick-muscled man in a filthy Santa hat and khaki overalls. A bushy, fake white beard pulled too high covered his face. Each of his exaggerated marches from the shed ended with another limp little body mock coddled but a moment and then tossed to the pit like bad laundry. The whimsical tunes of lilting flute and dropping tuba drifted from down speaker stands the parking lot over, and their lightheartedness contrasted with the on screen carnage to bring the bile higher into Demetrius's mouth. He returned to the moment. The girl! Where did she go? Glimpsing one last thrown baby, he retreated from that grindhouse gore to tiptoe his way to the concession stand, though his eyes involuntarily arced back to the screen, blind to what happened in between. As he closed on the little building at the back center of the parking lot, the galaxy of headlights constricted on itself, tightened into a dense and sparkling starfield about him amidst a new ring of dark matter. Demetrius stepped onto the sidewalk of the fully-lit stand. The smell of popcorn welcomed him there and inflicted memories of skating rinks and the October Fair. He followed it inside and saw the machine heaving with fluffy kernels that spilled into the bottom of its glass cage. But there was nobody there. A door ajar behind the counter read, Employees Only, and emitted a strobing summons on the tails of the thwipping taps of rolling film. One hand on the countertop, and he vaulted over, pushing into the other room, the projector booth. The little girl was there, arms raised to be lifted by the tall man at the window where a projector once stood, but the man ignored her. He faced the projector window, mouth preternaturally agape, and hands braced hard against the wall. Light and shadow danced in broad swaths from his hollow eyes out into the night on to the shredded movie screen. The flapping film noises came from deep within his throat. There was no time to process the scene. Demetrius scuttled ahead to kneel by the girl, both hands landing on her shoulders. Let's go, he whispered. And the noise and the light from the projecting man stopped. Demetrius tried to pick the girl up, realizing the man was looking down on them. And then he fell back on his butt in startlement. The man loomed over him with some kind of curiosity. He wore a tuxedo without the coat. Black bow tie on white vest on a white shirt over black pants. All this beneath a black bowler that may as well have come off the noggin of Charlie Chaplin's little tramp. Black satin gloved his overlong and reaching fingers. But his face, that face was dead mechanical fear itself. The eye holes were recesses plugged with convex lenses maybe two inches deep, each lit with a candle flame set even further back in the head. There was no nose, and the mouth was a lipless, toothless circle sealed in black mesh at the back of the gums. Demetrius froze. The thing locked his gaze even as it pulled the girl from his grasp and rose to its full height of nearly two and a half yards. The mouth mesh, twisted counterclockwise, cranked its opening nearly six inches across while the hands drew the girl in for a bite. The shape of her blurred again, and she glanced down at Demetrius with tears flowing. Run, she mouthed silently, and her body disappeared into the incorporeal light inhaled in a moment by the man in the projector room. The flames in the man's eyes flickered brighter and shone down fiercely on Demetrius. Lungs and heart failed him, but not his legs. He was up and out of that projection room before the thing could start. He was over the counter and through the concession's door only to find the headlights surrounding the building then in concentric circles, spotlighting him. A forearm shielded his eyes, but did not obscure the strobing beam already erupting from the projector booth. His eyelids dropped a moment to guard his better mind, but he had to know. Demetrius took in a sniff of the slow night air and looked to the movie screen flickering beyond it all. There on screen was the little girl from the slide, star of her own silent drive-in feature, creeping warily through a bricked tunnel to a lit tea room at its end. A pot-bellied Dracula stalked her in shadow, "'drooling over cigarette-stained fangs in Bella Lugosi close-up. "'In the tea room waited a bone-thin and wrinkled Bride of Frankenstein, "'smoke billowing from nostrils and lips, "'her trachea a gulping chimney. "'The smoldering Bride met the girl upon her escape from the tunnel, "'and an Art Deco title card interrupted the action "'to spell out the Bride's greeting. "'You don't belong here, Patty. "'You don't belong anywhere.' read the intertitle, and the screen shifted clumsily back to the tea room in a botched edit. The distraught Patty trembled between the overacting, posturing monsters. She looked not at them, but shifted her wide eyes between the ceiling and the floor. Something was about to... The wood planks of the floor erupted in splinters and dry ice fog, victims of reptilian claws that reached from the down below to snatch Patty away. The show offered one last glimpse of her tiny paw releasing a death grip on the floor's edge, and then cut to a title card engraved, The End. The screen went dark, save for a perfect circle illuminated at its center. It hovered there, alone and lonely, and nothing moved for a few moments. That included Demetrius. The headlights broke the still of the parking lot first. These were no cars. The outer rings of lamps levitated up some twenty feet off the asphalt, followed then by the next, and then the next, each equidistant from the others to form a towering funnel of lights, each layer rotating opposite its neighbor. The close encounters of the third kind had nothing on this. The slow twister floated to the screen without a sound, and the last little orb that waited there flitted up to meet it. It stopped to hover over the turning spectacle at its center, and then the whole thing unwound from its uppermost layer. The lights peeled away in an orderly line to disappear one at a time into the largest hole of the movie screen. Each passage announced with a radiant dazzle of blue-white across its face until there were none left but that spherical remnant of the little girl's story. It disrupted the ritual's rhythm, hung before the waiting portal a second too long, before following in a bright bolt, and then all was dark again. Her name was Patty, a fact important to Demetrius. His fear gave ground to despair in the knowledge that she was gone, but not knowing if that meant she was in a better place or worse. Footsteps behind interrupted his thoughts on the dilemma. The projectionist had not gone with the others, and its gangly arms entangled him before he could scramble outside their range. Demetrius struggled, casualty of his own stunned bafflement at the events of the evening, but he was caught. His captor cracked and crossed its arms unnaturally to twist him around to face it. The flame-lit glass eyes were too close, and the mouth hole already swirled wider to take him. That hard fluttering flapped loud in his ears as it drew him closer. Demetrius instinctively shut his eyes, plunged into the expectation of certain death. He watched Patty's story play on the back of his eyelids. Then his murdered little sisters. Then his long-lost mamas. And then his own. It was too much. Too much pain. Too much loss from too much abandonment. Too much needless destruction. Those stories ended there and then. When his eyes opened, the tired and frightened surrender of Demetrius yielded to the unforgiving rage of Meat. Meat wasn't bedazzled by spectral displays. Meat wasn't scared of the unknown. Meat kept moving. Meat enforced his own way. And Meat fought. Meat drilled a hard right fist through the left eye lens of the projectionist straight into the blazing wick at the back of the thing's empty head. The flame wasn't hot, but it did burn. The cold licks erupted from the fractured orbit like napalm as Meat's hand retreated, and he dropped to the concrete sidewalk. The left hand tamped out the burning right, flesh and sleeve, even as he scampered backward ready to scrap some more if need be. But there was no need— The projectionist's other lens exploded outward from the pressure of the fully involved inferno in its skull, its fluttering, and then the shrill whine of a turning winch at maximum strain. Hands aflame as they tried in vain to blot out the fires at every facial orifice, the creature stumbled, fell backward into the concession structure, and the whole place lit up. Meat watched for a few minutes longer to be sure it was consumed. He heard the sirens of Pritchard's sad excuse for a fire crew and then confidently, deliberately, made his way through the fence behind the screen, into the night, and forever away from the village. You've been listening to Ain't No Such Thing, The Air Show, written by Kevin Laporte, narrated and produced by Amanda Rachels. To enjoy more of our content, you need to subscribe to Ain't No Such Thing, We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Google just to name a few. Also, check the show notes because I do a piece of original art based on the monster from each episode, and The Projectionist is going to be available on eBay for the week after we post this podcast. It's going to be a cool one, so you better check it out. Also, you can see the video of these drawings being done on YouTube. So, lots of ways to get the content and see all the aspects of it. We're really enjoying putting it together for you. So, we hope you enjoyed this one. Go and check out our others, The Baptist, The Flood, and The Golden Arm. Y'all take care, and I'll be back with another one for you real soon. All Characters, Content, and Situations, Copyright Inverse Press, 2019, All Rights Reserved.